0: She knew in her heart that God had something more in store for her. You have a, a, a baby and you have another baby and that's great and you want to have another baby and all of a sudden it doesn't happen. So I ended up having to um, just come to a place of acceptance and say, okay Lord if that's not what you have for me then you know, I'm, use me some other way or, or put me to work, do something. I had a baby that was premature. He was five weeks early and luckily he was fine, only in the hospital for four days. But while I was there, for those four days, I realized that there were other babies in the room that weren't being held all day. And their moms and their daddies had already gone back to work and gone back to their lives, and their babies were there for months on end, and there there was no one there really nurturing them. The nurses feed them, but they don't have time to do the bonding, the nurturing, the cooing, the holding, the loving, the stroking, all that stuff that they need so desperately. And I remember sitting there one afternoon with my baby thinking, who's going to hold these other babies? Sandy and
1: I actually went down to Bentop together um to to go rock babies but there was a big difference between what I was doing and what Sandy was doing. I was doing volunteer work but with Sandy for her it was more of a calling there was a great deal of passion and for her it wasn't just volunteering it
2: actually became a ministry for her. Parents are at home sometimes and are not able to come here to observe their babies totally 24 hours a day. So sometimes she can be able to sit down, rock the babies, feed the babies, uh, sometimes actually helping giving baths to the babies. So that has lessened the work sometimes on us. We, we do do our work, but that gives us a little break at times. We love her being here. It's like the Lord, Jesus Christ, you know, in her. We can feel that Christian love in her. She's not only a volunteer here anymore. She is so close to me. I can, if I have a personal problem, I can tell her Sandy what's going on with me. This job becomes very stressful for me, so she listens all the time to me whenever she comes. I tell her what's going on with me, uh, even personal things. And she has a great love for the children, and which personally I have too. We both teach Sunday school, and we connect that Christian love with each other. And uh, one other thing, actually, I can tell is uh, many times we have a lot of workload, and when she comes in, nurses are relieved. They feel, oh, someone is here whom we can count on. She's very dependable, and uh, we are good friends.
0: When my pastor found out that uh, I was doing this, it was an immediate reaction that he had, and he said, He said, oh, I'm so delighted to hear that you're at that hospital. He said, I've had these babies and their families on my heart and on my mind for so long. I really want to find a way for our church to minister to the babies and their families. And I thought, you know, babies and areas with babies should have lots and lots of comfy, warm rocking chairs. So I went back to him and he said, great, that's done. Think bigger. And I thought, (laughs) think bigger. And he said, go back and find someone and talk to them, somebody that's in charge, and ask them, you know, if you had a wish list, what would be on it? What is it that our church could do for you? The, the little sibling playroom that we put in, my circle adopted it. We put bookshelves, hundreds of toys. Uh, one of the ladies at church is a very talented artist. She painted the entire room. It was just darling. I mean, it would cost a fortune for somebody to hire that out. She did it, loved it, just thought it was the greatest experience. The, um, the rooming in room, uh, we were able to get a lot of furniture donated where we could put these children and their parents and they could stay there for one night, two nights, three nights and learn the oxygen and the different monitors to where those alarms were no longer scary, then we could send them home with a much higher level of confidence and usually that would mean the baby would not bounce back into pediatrics the following day. Now looking back, I can tell you that he wanted me to be at Ben Taub, which is the last place I would ever have chosen to go. It was a hospital that is—it can be kind of rough. It's got a, a reputation with... You know, criminals go there, and and, uh, the the worst wounded go there. It's in the medical center. It's downtown, totally outside my comfort zone. That is the last place I would have ever chosen. And when I arrive, I've got a couple of nurses up there that when they see me, they throw open their arms and say, Thank you, Jesus, and put their arms around me. No one else does that. (laughs) There's no one that says, Thank you, Jesus, when they see me. So that is a, a wonderful thing to be appreciated and to be loved just because you show up. I don't have any special gift I'm bringing. I have nothing other than you know my love for them and my love for the babies. That's all that comes with me and that's enough. I try to say a blessing over every baby that I'm with because I feel like I don't know who's gonna pray over this baby. I don't know where this baby's going. I can't can't adopt all these babies. I can't take them home. I wished I could. So my part in their life is about that big. But I know God will do something with them and so I know the power of prayer and I think if I can pray for those babies Before they go wherever they're going, you know that's that's the seed I can plant. That's all I can do, but who knows what it can be in God's hands. In 2005, Sandy Griffith was recognized as Volunteer of the Year at Ben Taub Hospital and as Volunteer of the Year at the Texas Medical Center of Houston. I never see the end of it. I never see that. Okay, now I'm done. I've reached the the pinnacle and this is good and that was a great thing it it keeps changing it keeps building I've learned that I don't want to limit him I, I don't know what he has in store so I just go and say use me wherever
3: let's pray together our Father and our God we we know that you are a servant God And that you have brought people into your family to be servants. So I pray, Father, that you will help us to be the kind of people who open up our eyes to the community around us. Uh, Lord, show us what what you want us to do, what what we are able to do. I pray that you'll bring us to a place where we will make ourselves completely available to you and then notice what is all around us that, that we could do. I pray, Father, that tonight will be one of those nights where the Spirit of God will just help us to think and that you'll, you'll create ideas in our, own, in our own hearts, Father, things that we could do. For we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.
4: Hi, we're uh, Phil and Linda Gibson, and uh, we want to be rich. Uh, um, it seems that uh, Pastor Rick's messages over the last few weeks especially have been uh, totally relevant to what, uh, what's been happening in our lives. So Linda's going to give us a 30-second bio, and then uh, we'll try and fill in.
2: And I'm the nervous one, okay. We were both born the same year in post-war Britain. And we were both taught Jesus um, in Sunday school in England, but didn't know him. We met in 1969, uh, married in 1972, and came to Canada in 73, and came to Canada knowing nobody, but the Lord knew what he was doing. Our first child was born in 1977, and in August of 1978, we had a a really um, severe medical crisis in our family, where my mother was diagnosed with a degenerative hereditary disease that um, I had a 50% chance of contracting, and uh, it was through that that we came to know the Lord ourselves. Since knowing God, we have worshipped here at Calvary for 28 years. Phil has taught Sunday school for 27, I for 25. I served on the missions committee for seven years. Phil was a Christian service brigade leader for six years and 20 years plus in the choir and other music ministries like Ascend. We have been on 16 short-term missions between us, outreaches in both Europe and South America. We have been uh, team leaders on three short-term outreaches. Phil retired from Ontario Hydro after 33 years, and I from Pickering Library after 12. Our present condition is that we are keen to serve. We're content in the Lord, but we're not complacent.
4: Okay, I can just uh, uh, fill in on, on, on where Linda uh, left off. There, um, we, we, we were on a few mission trips with Alan Holt in, in, down in the in, down south there, but uh, the, the one mission trip that was really life-changing to us was our, our first trip to uh, Romania. And uh, on that trip, we we, we had a, we hosted a a team meeting in our house, and uh, and Neil Rempel came to the team meeting, and he said, "Uh, God has given us a a wonderful team. Well, you know, excuse my indifference, but I looked around the team. We had a a lady in a a walking cast. Uh, Two of our ladies were getting over serious illnesses, and uh, and there were two young girls in there. And Excuse me, young ladies, but I thought these young ladies would be more worried about where they were going to find a hairdryer than where they were going to find a shovel, you know. And so I wasn't sure about this great team. But uh, we went to Romania. Uh, our baggage didn't arrive for three days. Uh, and the weather was terrible. And, uh, the, and our accommodation was pretty limited. Uh, you know, we had mildew in, in all our rooms. And, uh, we you know, we got a shower. Uh, we had hot water one hour in every 24 hours. So it was, it was limited. And I thought the, the spirit of the team would be down. But, you know, it was an incredible... Uh, There was an incredible oneness of spirit amongst our team. We sang together, we prayed together, and we were just excited about doing God's work. And so that team experience really encouraged me. And I can only only point to the Holy Spirit. This is the first time I I really saw the Holy Spirit really take over our situation in Romania. And and secondly, the, the, the people of Romania, the wonderful, gracious people of Romania, really encouraged us. They're desperately poor, but they're desperately, they're wonderfully strong in their faith. And it's almost like a day-by-day faith because they, they literally look to the Lord for, for good weather because they're agricultural people. And they're wonderful, wonderful Christian people there. So that was a wonderful experience for us. More recently, we've been to Europe and we've been to prosperous countries. We've been to poor countries. And, uh, you know, the prosperous countries are dark spiritually generally. The poor countries are generally, you know, strong spiritually. So th- a, it's a diverse uh, continent. Uh, we were in Hungary and Poland this year, and again, the missionaries encouraged us and said to us, you know, like, what are you waiting for? Why, why aren't you on the mission field with us, you know? And so, uh, we took the plunge this year, and Linda and I, we went to Denver, Colorado, and uh, in October this year, we were actually appointed as associate missionaries with, uh, with Greater Europe Mission. And uh, now we're at the, at the point where we, we've got a, a choice to make. Well, we've already made it, but... Um, you know, I could continue working and, and sponsoring, uh, you know, the odd uh, short-term trip for ourselves, or we could, um, you know, quit work and, um, and 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 trusting God for for supply and, and actually go full-time to Europe, and uh, we've pretty much decided to do that, especially with Rick's messages, and uh, so we, we're we're about to um, we're going to commit ourselves to service for the Lord. Come. Uh, uh, June this year, we're, we, Lord willing, we'll be in in Europe, in in Germany this year. Uh, so we're going to live big. We're going to we're going to want to be rich. Uh, we want to serve in Europe this summer. We want to support and encourage local believers in Europe because that's the direction of Greater Europe Mission to to evangelize Europe through the through the nationals and we, and and short-term teams are, believe me, strategic in that route because. They really do encourage the nationals. we want to serve God as non theologians neither of us are qualified uh, to uh, to preach uh, or, or sing, but we 'll do our best at that and uh, but we want to serve as non theologians we don 't sound like missionaries, but this is the face i 'm told this is the face of missionaries in the future, and we 're there as we said to to encourage nationals with our with our labor and um, and we 're I, I didn't say this, but it's not a sacrifice to us. This, this is what we love doing, and, and uh, we are really, really we need your encouragement, but we really want to do this this summer.
2: We are just there for three years this year, June, July, and August. We do have to um, apply for our British passports to stay longer or apply for a visa. Um, we have needs. We have needs. We need your blessing, and we need your affirmation as our church family. We desperately need your prayers, and we need financial support just for expenses so that we can do this for three months. Um, there is a letter at the Welcome Centre if anybody is interested to know about us and um, take it as a prayer reminder, or if you would like to support us. Um, and that letter outlines our needs. Also, before we go in June, Lord willing, we'd like to, we, we're hoping to raise a team to go to the Baldwins at the Greek Bible Institute. We need 10 people to go, and that would be for April the 12th for two weeks to refinish the basketball court and to put up bookshelves. Up, up but it says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 to 12, it starts out with, So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord. And it finishes by saying, Yet I am not ashamed because I know when I have believed and I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day.
5: Something Good. that you'll probably never see again in the rest of your life here on earth. Maybe in heaven you'll see this. <laughs> These are all cupcakes. Oh wow. Oh wow. I'm loving the music right now too. <laughs> it's, it's, it's very fitting. It sets the see you're Yeah, here, here, get a view of this.
6: So I finally had a chance to catch Cindy after these uh, busy days with this debate. And there's three questions we want to ask her so uh, so we can learn a little bit more about what it means to be a servant. So Cindy, what, what was your involvement with this debate?
7: Uh, Campus for Christ decided that they wanted to use cupcakes as a promotional item for the debate, Does God Exist? So Calvin called and asked if I would help out. So uh, Deb Martin and Calvin and I did some calling around and we were able to provide near a thousand cupcakes for the university.
8: So you didn't make a thousand cupcakes all by yourself?
7: No, I didn't. No, a lot of people were
5: involved. I do not ever think I've made one batch of cupcakes okay. in my life?
2: Let right alone
9: right. This is an
2: infinite number of right. batches. No. Oh, no. <laughs> Shame.
5: She's got to check the rear view mirrors. <laughs> Whoa! Oh no! <laughs> Some powerful one. You look like a uh, king man right now. <laughs> a knight in a suit of armor. Okay. Yeah.
9: You can go in both sides. Don't look at the- oh, really?
5: It seems like a lot of work. Why would you make yourself
7: available for something like this? Uh, it seemed like a lot of work in the very beginning, but the more people that get involved, the easier a, a job becomes. Kalen originally asked. To in about two days and we could make about 200 cupcakes and, and that seemed fine and then a couple days later Grading asked if we could have so a thousand cupcakes. But fewer people got involved and we were able to accomplish what they they requested. Um, and also my kids are very involved in the Campus for Christ program at their own universities and I realized the impact it has had in their life, both in their university life and their personal life, so I was really pleased to be involved.
5: G-E Does God Exist, 01, January 22nd 2009, and that is today. And so what we're doing with the cupcakes is we're going to hand them out all over campus. Oh, it's been crazy. It's been a wild week. Uh, people have been approaching people on campus, uh, giving out flyers, telling them to come to the debate, and so we pretty much saturated the campus. Yesterday we gave them a day of rest because everybody was so crazy. But today, this is our final push. So we're gonna get all the people together wearing their t-shirts, handing out these cupcakes, and inviting people to the debate. Green, how many many cupcakes are there? Who'd you get to make them? Well, I think think there's somewhere around 800 cupcakes. And from what I understand, uh, tons of volunteers from the church. Uh, And they have, I mean, I, I don't know, the only way I can describe them is they're like ants. Like, they're just all working together. Like, people are, they make the, some people are making the cupcakes, and they go to another house, and that house makes the frosting and puts on the frosting. And then they make these little medallions. And believe it or not, these things are chocolate, right? These are little chocolate question marks to tell people about the debate, right? And so somebody puts those on. So it's a whole network of people from the church uh, making this possible for us today. Okay, one more question: How is participating in your life? Um, it, it's really.
7: It's, a very, it's rewarding, really, to do anything for God. It really is. And it really does enrich your life. Um, and then maybe with the university kids, next time they see a cupcake, maybe they'll realize, remember the debate and realize that God does exist. He really is an awesome God to serve. But the next time I'm asked to do a job, if they insist on videotaping me, I just possibly might say no.
6: <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. Thank you for your time.
8: Thanks. Okay, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Brian Hooper. I'm retired from GM. And when I retired, I had a plan. I'd worked, got my personal trainer's papers, I was going to run a training studio. Had it all worked out. Yep, this is what I was going to do. Well, what happened after I retired? God just kind of took me in a direction that I wasn't expecting. Uh, For those of you who know my son, Josh, he worked for several years as a volunteer down at the refuge. And he was working with street kids. For those of you who don't know what the refuge is, it's a ministry to street youth in downtown Oshawa. And if any of you are wondering why we need a ministry to street youth in downtown Oshawa, let me explain something to you. Oshawa is the crack capital of Canada. Anybody know that? Okay. It's the crack capital of Canada. Uh, Most of the kids we deal with are addicted to something. But anyway, getting back to the story, one day Josh couldn't go. And I'm sitting at home. Lord, why don't I have any customers? I was really busy up until the day I retired. And now there's no customers. How come all my clients have gone? Well, God was changing the direction in my life. Josh was sick one day. Couldn't go down to the refuge. And my wife and I, we were on the advisory committee for the refuge at the time. And I called down and Marcy was there. And I said, Marcy, Josh is too sick. He can't come in. And she's going, oh, dear. And I go, you know, just the typical dad thing. Well, if you need me, I'm not really busy today. I can come in. Just give me a call. She says, well, I'm telling you, get down here. (laughs) Oh, okay. So I ended up down there, and at that time we were downtown Oshawa, Mary Street, right behind the coffee time, which is better known as crack time uh, because of so many crack dealers hanging out there. But anyway, you're going into this part of Oshawa that you usually tried to avoid. You tried to pretend it wasn't there. I get in there. And Marcy says, oh, just throw that in the oven. That's what we have to eat. And I'm looking at this frozen dinner going, you're kidding me, aren't you? The kids describe it as somewhere between jail food and hospital food. Okay? So anybody who's been to the hospital or anybody who's been to jail, you understand what kind of food this was. (laughs) I'm looking at it and thinking, ooh. Well, anyway, I cooked it up. Uh... The following, well, the Thursday, I was coming back from the gym. i just retired, so I was going down to the gym in the morning to meet all my old friends, and we'd work out together. And on the way back, I was on my motorcycle. I thought, well, I better just go in and see if Josh made it. I didn't see his car. So I go in, and Lisa, one of the girls that was working there at the time, she's going, get in here now. Oh, it was her, She's the, she was doing the office work, and she was making bagels for the kids for breakfast. So that's how desperate they were. Like, oh, okay. Finally, uh, Clarence comes up to me and he goes, since you're here two days, why don't you just start coming? What? You're kidding me, aren't you? No, come on, God, this isn't funny. But anyway, that started a whole area of ministry that I had no Expectation of ever getting involved in. God has a way of directing us and changing direction. We have a plan, but he has a way of making us do U-turns and a way of changing things around so that we end up where he wants us. Now, what do we do at the refuge? Do we just feed the kids? Do we give them clothes? Actually, that's part of it. But what we also do is we try to train them and teach them, get them into school, get them off the streets. My biggest role there, and this came when Josh was better and got back down, and first day he goes in, he, I was doing something, and he was across the refuge, and he goes, Hey, Dad! And all these kids are turning around going, What? What'd you call him? Dad. Why? Well, that's my dad. You know your dad? Imagine that. Imagine. None of them, most of them, had no idea who their dad was. And Josh is, yeah, that's my dad. Well, you can imagine their surprise when my dad came down one day to pick up bananas. because we had all these bananas left over from one of our events. So I called down and I said, Hey, Mom, can you make banana bread? So my dad comes to pick up the bananas, and Josh goes out carrying them out, and he says to one of the kids, He says, Here, grab that box and take it out to Grandpa's van. What? I said, Yeah, that's my dad. Josh, you have a grandpa and a dad? Wow. What happened after that? was a few days later, one of the girls comes up to me and she's going, she was explaining a situation she was in. And I said, do you want me to tell you what I'd tell my daughter? Would you? I go, yeah. So I gave her the same advice I would have given Amanda. And she just, wow, thanks. What has happened is as you build up the relationship with these kids is you become more of a parent I'm the cook, but I spend a lot of time doing one-on-ones. Some kid comes in and he's got a problem. Well, come on in and help me get lunch. And it's really neat because it gives you some one-on-one time while you're also teaching them a skill. Now, being a service agency that is not government-funded, sometimes the storehouse was pretty bare. And you'd kind of have to pull something out of midair and make something for the kids. And this is what the kids love doing. Okay, what are we making today? We, what do we see? Oh, well, we got this. We got this. Okay, we can do this and this. and Wow. And you get a lunch basically out of nothing. And the kids really appreciate learning how to do this. One day, one of the kids comes up and says, hey, Brian, can you make garlic mashed potatoes for us again? And I said, well, I don't have time to peel them. She goes, well, we can do that. It's okay. So I go get the potato peelers. There's three of these girls standing there. I get the potatoes and the pot. I fill up the sink with the water, put the potatoes in the sink, and turn around to walk away. I wanted to see what was going to happen. And as I'm walking away, I'm looking back, and they're all standing there holding these peelers and holding the potatoes. I go, what's the matter? We don't know how to do this. So I had a chance to teach them how to do something as simple as peeling potatoes. But what is really heartbreaking when you're dealing with these kids, and Lori and Terry, who are sitting back there, my wife Lori is the office manager, and Terry works the floor there many days of the week and also the Friday night program. We have a situation. One of the girls comes in, and Nina Cole. Now, most of you know Nina. She's my Tuesday helper. She just loves it. She started out just knitting for the babies. Now what I have here is I have a list of all the mothers and the little babies. We have 13 kids, little babies, all under three years old that we are also servicing. That video with the little babies, that was quite quite touching. This one girl, we were talking to her one day, and she would gotten a job. So we said, well, we'll be over to kind of encourage you. She was doing surveys at the shopping center. Now, how many times when somebody's doing a survey at the shopping center do you just kind of quickly walk by them and go, ah, uh, no thanks, I'm not interested. Well, anyway, she got the job doing this. So we said, well, we'll be over and we'll let you do a survey with us. And she goes, wow, that's really nice. Why would you do that? And Nina and I both at the same time said, well, because we care. And she stopped, she looked at us, and she goes you care? She said, that's the first time in my life somebody has ever said that to me.
0: Philip Kemp has a thriving dental practice in one of the most affluent counties in the nation. But for Dr. Kemp, it wasn't enough. He wanted to give himself away.
9: I've always had a desire to, to mentor and, and teach uh, young dentists and, and give back, and I just feel like God has just has specifically uh, given me the passions and the desire to, uh, uh, to teach, and um, this whole process has really been a, a culmination of that dream to, uh, 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 to mentor and, and help people out in situations of the life that they're, that they're in, uh, specifically in the, the practice of dentistry.
6: Well, what it means for all of us to be able to be here, come to Dr. Kim's office, and be able to work out of here, it's just, just a wonderful way for us to be able to get the clinical experience of working out of a private practice instead of working in a school setting. Be able to work with, with uh, men who have been, and ladies who've been out in private practice and know how things run here. And it's just a great way for us to learn, and it's a great way for us to be able to give back to the community, give back to people who are in need.
9: We are trying to put students in situations where they're challenged, where they're taught, where they're mentored, and more than anything, they're just uh, you just wrap your arms around them, you lock arms, and you walk through life together.
3: Well, to be involved uh, in this program really uh, fulfills two uh, important aspects of my life personally. One, uh, the ability to help teach uh, young dentists and mentor uh, students as they're coming out of school. Uh, that's something that I think in our profession that, we uh, ought to be giving back uh, as it's provided uh, so much for us and in regards to just the way that the program works where we get to combine that with helping people that actually need the work um, is sort of a win-win in in both aspects.
1: Phillip's ministry is beyond what I can even describe for these women. The women that I work with at the Hope Center are um, women who have come out of primarily addictions to um, all kinds of drug addictions, alcohol addictions, street life and many of them their teeth through all those years of abuse are just completely destroyed, broken off, um, just horrible decay and so they cannot really even though they've worked so hard to recover and um, that their life is absolutely changed upside down they go from street life to completely uh, recovered and restored and ready to enter into real life productive citizens again but because their teeth are so bad nobody wants to hire them for any kind of public position or public job
2: this opportunity to get this dental work is a blessing to me because uh, for one I have low self-esteem and not only will it help me with my self-esteem it'll help me in raising my daughter to have self-esteem regardless of what she looks like and me getting this is just a blessing to me I don't I'm. The words can't explain how I feel about
9: it. So it's an opportunity for us because we're able to take these patients and we're able to give students uh, patients that really are more advanced and more difficult than what they see in the, in the, uh, the school setting, but uh, it also gives them an opportunity to see people who are struggling, who are really trying to their life turned around and from a standpoint of what they get not only just from the practical teaching but more than anything real life uh, setting it's powerful
1: and philip's already completed a number of women and their lives are different their jobs are different their self-esteem is different so not only has what god done in their hearts completely transformed them but what philip has sacrificed and given so lovingly and compassionately to these women have given them a future and a hope to reunite with families, to be able to take jobs, to be able to just hold their head high—that who they are in Christ—is um, reflected and radiated to the community.
9: The feeling that you get, um, the look on their face, or the the reaction that you get when you've when you've been able to give them something that they haven't had uh, for a long time—a smile or um, teeth to chew with—people uh, that have been in pain for a long time or been embarrassed for a long time—and and when they leave your office in tears or jumping up and down, it's the, uh, it really makes you feel good. You know, the, from the standpoint of ministry, I mean, I, I try to look at my life as a ministry. You know, and, and God has put me in a situation where I'm practicing dentistry, and, and that's, my, that's my ministry. You know, my, my ultimate ministry is my family, my relationship with my kids, my relationship with my wife. Uh, my, my second is, is, my, is my, my practice. So um, in, in, in that situation, I feel like God has called me to the, to the mission field, which is here in Brentwood, in this, in this office, with the people I work with and the people that are, that are, are coming, uh, coming my way, whether it's from UT, whether it's from a course that we put on, or whether it's just relationships that I, that I make. So this ministry is when I'm challenging myself and challenging everybody involved. The ministry of what we do is building relationships. The spiritual emphasis for myself, or the spiritual um, catalyst, is to give my life away. I mean, ultimately, is to look for an opportunity not to build success, but to build significance.
2: Good
6: evening. What an encouraging night it's been so far. Amazing to hear these things. If I could just share something really quick, as I'm sitting there and I'm looking at the cupcake story, I, sometimes you know you get images of things, and I just picture God in heaven, and He's going to introduce, say, that He wants to introduce two people, and one is the person who made cupcakes, and one's the person who got one, and they're going to look at the person, give him a big hug, and say, "I got this cupcake with this question mark, and it made me go to this debate, and I discovered God, and found His Son, and had a relationship with Him, and accepted Him as Savior." The smallest bit of service God can use for big things. It's amazing. Um, as I said, my name is Chris Brown. Uh, I'm the husband to Cindy Brown. She was the redhead in the white jacket with the big smile, bringing the cupcakes in. And uh, we have three children, Caleb, Hannah, and Matthew. We began uh, our time here at Calvary back in September of uh, 2007. So we're still kind of newbies here. And uh, we've really uh, been enjoying our time here and and, and growing And the Lord, while we've been here, growing up, I heard a lot about great men and women in the Bible. You know, Sunday school, and you hear about all these great men and women in the Bible. And uh, I'll be honest, I felt I could never be like one of these people. I could never ever be one of these great men or women in the Bible. And as I've grown up, and as I've gotten older, and as I've studied and read more, I kind of came to a realization that you know what? There really are no great men men and women of the Bible. There's one great man of the Bible, and his name is Jesus. Everyone else is simply just like you and me. They may have held different titles. They may have done different things. But they're just like you and me. Maybe the difference between them is that when God asked them to do things, they said yes. And then they trusted him. Abraham picked up and left. Moses, after a little bit in the field that I'm in of a little bit of pushback, eventually said yes. Isaiah said, send me. But in the end, they all said yes. And they all trusted God to see them through whatever it was they wanted them to do. Service for me is simply allowing God to work through me, not because he needs me, but because he wants me and he wants to use me. Which I believe is, is for my benefit. It's for my blessing. And it draws me closer to God and it draws me closer in community to all those people who are around me. And that's a wonderful thing. It still requires work and action, but it's really it's just all about trusting God. When you think of it, what greater honor or privilege could we ever have than to serve the King of Kings than the Lord of Lords? I mean, it, it's phenomenal. We probably jump at an opportunity to serve a head of state in some sort of a capacity, to be involved in an inauguration or, or any of those kinds of things, and yet we have the privilege of serving the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords every single day of our life. It's phenomenal. And the truth is we're not even worthy and I don't get why he wants us to do it sometimes, but he does, and it's wonderful. Currently under the direction of uh, Pastor John, I have the privilege of serving in the area of, of men's ministries. I've got to be honest, I'm really excited about this. Um, I've had a lot of time in prayer and a lot of time talking with John and, and other men, and just excited to see and find out what God is going to do with all us guys here at Calvary. I mean, he's already doing things, we know that, but I think it's just going to keep going and snowballing and grow. Um, I told John that I felt like a minnow in the ocean. And uh, I liked his response. He looked at me and said, well, I think that's a good place to be. When we feel small and weak, God can use us. In a verse, um, Paul in his writings wrote this. He says, but he, Christ, said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power, or in some translations, my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me that's why for christ's sake i delight in weakness and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties for when i am weak then i am strong for men's ministries a vision that we have is to be a community of committed christ followers who constantly ask the lord jesus christ to continuously change our lives and strengthen our hearts from and through his word so that we may fully serve him as leaders in our homes neighborhoods places of work and the church as we've, John and I have had time together and we've talked and we've prayed, um, we've been looking at different initiatives that, that come under our essentials and trying to align them with the essentials here at Calvary. And uh, one of the first things that we started is uh, what, we, what we call in it the 12 months of prayer. And then it began January the 15th. And uh, essentially what we want to do is once a month is have the men gather here, meet over in the West Overflow, just to pray together with focused prayer. And we've been following 1 Timothy chapter 2, uh, starting at verse 1. Um, In January, it was every way for everyone. Just making a list of anyone you know who needs prayer and for any reason that they need prayer, I'm praying for them. And then keeping that list. And for the rest of the month, just keep praying over that list of people that you've made. February, we're going to focus on leadership. We're going to focus on the prime minister and uh, members of parliament, the mayor, our regional councillors. But you know what? It goes beyond that. Your foreman, your supervisor, your CEO, the principal at your children's school or the vice principal, the team coach, the Sunday school teachers, just anyone. There's so many different positions of leadership that people hold um, over us, and they need our prayer. And we're going to focus on that in February, and that'll be on the 19th. We're trying to put together a breakfast on the 28th um, from 7.30 to 9, on uh, Saturday, February the 28th. Hopefully that'll come together. We're working on that still, uh, as well as a bunch of, uh, of other different initiatives, some coffee, carbs, and games nights, maybe some barbecues with some challenges thrown in, Um, considering a conference in the fall, taking a look at a season in a man's life. And uh, our lives, gentlemen, are kind of a way to look at it allegorically is divided into the four seasons, and it would be applicable for all of us as we're all at some season or another, and then taking a look at how God works through us in each of those different seasons of our lives. Ultimately, though, in terms of men's ministries, um, we just want to see men who are seeking God, who are serving Him, who are praying, who are leading, the verse that comes to mind is 2 Chronicles 16 and 9. It says this, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Personally, I want to be fully committed to God, and I want to see a community of men, a community a whole church who's fully committed to God and going forward in his strength.
3: Hi, I'm Rick Baker and I serve as pastor here at Calvary Baptist Church. I get the uh, great privilege of uh, wrapping up this evening with just a couple of thoughts and uh, I must say that that uh, I'm sure you feel the same way I do. It's, it's such a blessing to work here on with a, a great team of people. Calvary Baptist Church is a, a, an organism, a... a uh, I think a moniker of Calvary is Calvary at work. And um, we see it everywhere. We see people um, helping each other. And then there's so much happening in obscurity that uh, that God alone sees, which is really what's important, is what God sees. And and so I thought I would wrap it up just with a couple of thoughts about seeing Jesus everywhere with the whole idea of if you got to look into the future um, and, and you... you um, a future that um, that is uh, accurate and uh, really going to happen, and, and ask the question: How all of this matters, or if it matters, or in more particularly, what matters? What really matters to God? Uh, where would you look? And and I thought I would draw our attention as we close up this evening to Matthew chapter twenty-five, verse thirty-one to forty. It's a text that you know, you're aware of, and and it brings us into the, the picture of uh, the final judgment. And it really asks a, a couple of questions. There's, a, there's questions of how did you interpret Jesus' sightings? What draws you? What catches your attention? And there's a picture here where we peer into this event yet to come, but is absolutely accurate, precise. Verse 31, it says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the angels will be gathered before him. And he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he'll put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. The king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. This is judgment time. And and, and how your heart has interpreted through life what your eyes have seen. Did you see Jesus where you should have seen him? Now, that's going to be a really important question at the end. At his glorious arrival, by the way, the picture here is all the angels and all the nations gathered. I mean, the, the amazing inauguration event of, of the eternal future. It, it'll make the American inauguration look like a high school commencement. And Cindy, if you like to be obscure, I gotta tell you that this is like a big public event, all right? And, and he will appear to make an arbitrary separation of the peoples, a purposeful, specific separation, but a separation nevertheless. There will be no more freedom than to make decisions or change your mind or say, I wish I had done that or I wish I had seen that. And um, he will invite people and say, come you who are blessed or literally have been being blessed. That's the literal... Um, the literal way this is presented, come you who have been being blessed. Isn't that good? Because that's what it is when you're serving, right? I mean, you're serving people, but really the blessing comes to you. It's you who have been being blessed. Come. Now, by the way, I want to point out here so that human responsibility doesn't get out of hand here. Or, Become too man sourced in this whole determination of salvation. Prior grace is emphasized in this text. You, it says, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. This is about God. This is not somehow gaining justification by achievement or somehow gaining approval with God by the works that you did. That's not what this is about. This is simply a description. Of what the kingdom of Christ really looks like and what it always looked like. People feeding people, people clothing people, people visiting people. That's what the kingdom of Christ looks like. And the most important events, you know, that we see in the newspapers. Big deal, front page newspaper deals. That's not big stuff for God. That's not what God tracks with. That's not what keeps... what what gains approval with God, God sees people who are feeding people and people who are clothing people, people who are visiting people in prison or who are in the hospital. That's the big news for God, you see. That's what's shown here. The most important events in your life are the decisions you make and the choices you make to see Christ and do something about it. And by the way, the evidence here is it's, it's... as Chrysostom first pointed out, or I suppose that Jesus first pointed out, but then Chrysostom noticed it, is that um, it's not big miracles here. It's not. Um, it's it's little ministries. Do you notice? It's it's not healing and liberating massive populations of people. It's feeding somebody who needed something to eat. It's clothing somebody who needed some clothing. It's visiting somebody who really needed a visit. It's holding somebody's hand in a hospital who just needed to know somebody cared. It's the little ministries, which are the genuine drama of salvation unfolding before our very eyes. That's what's being recapped here by, by Christ himself. Helping people in the smallest of ways is a big deal to God. That's what live big really is. It's a live big thing to Jesus anyway. And what's so cool about this is what this does is this this opens up the good works of salvation to everybody. Rich or poor. Everybody can, whether you're poor or not, you can hold somebody's hand and just tell them that you care. And so rich and poor alike. The question Jesus is basically asking everybody is Could you take care of the bare minimum? Is that possible? Feeding ministries, sheltering ministries, visitation ministries, that's what catches God's eyes. So, what type of nation do you think God will bless? Well, what type of church do you think God will bless? What type of person do you think God will bless? It's not a mystery. He's already given you an opportunity to see into the future. This is what it's going to be. People, this is is the deal. At the inauguration of the eternal future kingdom, this is the deal. Do what you can to make it easier for people to do good. Verses make it easier for people to do badly. That's what Augustine said. I was a fetus and you brought me to term. That matters to God. Ultimately, the genuine will have lost their blindness so that they have eyes to see Jesus in the everyday righteous behavior of service. because they're family traits of our God in heaven that's what his children do because he's a servant God he's a shepherd God loves people cares about the least cares about the hurting the lost it matters to God that we all went up to University of Ontario Institute of Technology and told people there was a God who cared about them love them matters to God that Phil and Linda are going to go to Europe and be part of helping churches reach people for Christ rapidly disciple making churches matters to God that um, the hoopers go up to the refuge and others and just tell some kids you care it matters to God that, um, that Chris and others get involved in helping to encourage us to pray, care about each other, find ways to do that. It matters to God that you pitched in and made some cupcakes so that some kids would know that people care and it matters to them that there is a Jesus who they need to know. You don't get salvation by doing all this stuff salvation is a proven possession by the fact that you do this stuff it captivates God's attention these are the choices that we need to make as a congregation over and over again because it does matter it makes a difference and God is praised and pleased and invites us at the end come you who have been being blessed and join me for eternity our father and our god i pray that you might really open up our eyes in ways that we never imagined lord we've we've just sensed your your heartbeat we've been asking questions around our community we've been opening up our eyes Lord, we know we need to see Jesus where He really is. So I pray that we won't miss things, and I pray, Father, that we'll use what You've given us. Thank you for the um, thank you for the uh, ingenuity of the people in this congregation, Lord. The teamwork, the ways in which they get behind uh, an initiative and and make it happen for Your glory's sake, Lord. I pray that uh, we'll we'll up this, uh, we'll upsize the. Uh, the vision that we have for our community, for the region of Durham, let, let's, let us go and make disciples, Lord, in your name, demonstrate your kindness and your goodness and your grace and your mercy. I pray, Father, that you'll continue in trust to us this amazing opportunity that lies before us and the open doors that are, that are there for us. Help us to seize every opportunity. For your glory's sake, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.